And we will jump right into God's Word today. So if you want to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be picking up in verse 14. And I love this passage of Scripture. Just had a sweet time studying it. Very excited to share it. So much here. I could really break this down into probably three sermons, really, uh, what we're looking at today. But uh, we're going to go ahead and try to move just a little more quickly than that. So we'll be finishing out chapter 2 today. Let me ask the Lord's blessing on our time of study. Father, we love you. We love your word. Thank you that you have saved us and you've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us a love and a desire to know our Bibles and to be able to live accordingly. And so I thank you for this time that we have. Thank you that I get to share with these brothers and sisters who are very near and dear to my heart. I get to share with them the treasures of your word that I have been able to unpack this week. And I pray, God, that you would bless this time, that we would be greatly encouraged, instructed. We would be built up in the most holy faith. We would be lifted up. And um, we just are grateful for the treasure that we have here. And so open our eyes and our hearts that we can behold these wonderful spiritual truths and that they would really shape our lives, that we would look more like Christ, that we would have a greater hunger for holiness and that we would walk in the light as you are in the light, that we would be useful for you and your purposes, that we would know the joy of walking with our God and serving him faithfully. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today, as I said, we conclude the second chapter of 2 Timothy, specifically verses 14 through 26. And up to this point, Paul has encouraged Timothy... Unto boldness, remember that? you got to press in, Timothy, don't back off. told him that he needed to be faithful. He had been entrusted with something very special, and he needed to be faithful with it. And that ultimately he needed to be a committed man, a committed man. And Paul used a, a few analogies we looked at last week to help illustrate commitment. One of them was a soldier. And in that, we talked about how as a soldier of Jesus Christ, Paul specifically says, really, you have to anticipate difficulty. You have to endure hardship. You have to stay focused. You don't want to be distracted. As a soldier, you can't afford to be focused on civilian matters. You are in a battle. And that, remember, ultimately, we are serving at the pleasure of our commanding officer, our enlisting officer, Jesus Christ. Paul uses the analogy of an athlete, talked about how an athlete has to train rigorously. There's much sacrifice and self-discipline that is required, and he says that the athlete has to train according to the rules. The athlete has to train and compete according to the rules. So we talked about living a qualified life. Commitment looks like competing according to the rules. We can disqualify ourselves with our character. We can know all the answers We can have all the right words, and then we can totally discredit the message with the way that we live our lives. And so Paul told Timothy, don't do that. And then he used the analogy of a farmer, a farmer. He said that the hardworking farmer should be the first to enjoy the increase. 
So we talked about what it is to be a farmer. It is grueling work, long hours, working by faith, believing that there will be a harvest, and enjoying the fruit of your labor in its season. And for us, it's important that we be intentional, that we look for the good things that God is doing in our lives, in us, through us, so that we can receive the encouragement that we need to press on. Amen? Well, today... Paul is going to continue to encourage Timothy, but he's going to use three more analogies, three more analogies that we will look at today that I think highlight for us the kind of person that God uses. If we want to be useful to God, useful for His purposes, Paul gives Timothy three very specific word pictures. Now, I would say there's a lot more than just these three, biblically speaking, but here are three in particular that Paul gives Timothy, and he gives to us by extension. So the first thing that Paul says is that Timothy needs to be an approved worker, and we'll get into what that means, but I would would basically um, explain this as someone who is capable and confident with their handling of God's Word. speaks of a, a craftsman, someone who is skilled in their craft, and he's specifically dealing with how Timothy handles God's Word. Secondly, he uses the, the analogy of a clean vessel. You have a dirty vessel, a clean vessel. And so we want to be a clean vessel that is useful to the Lord. And this is regarding, yet again, our character. And then lastly, he's going to talk about being a gentle and a patient servant. A gentle and patient servant. Is my microphone on? Okay, it sounded like it was not for a second. And this would be regarding our ability to be used in other people's lives. God desires to use us, but of course, He wants to use us in the lives of other people. And so God is looking for a gentle and patient servant. So we'll look at each one of these in their turn as we walk our way through this text. And so I would say these are three qualities God expects for usefulness. And so again, as I said, with that, point number one, we want to be an approved worker, a capable and confident craftsman. Verses 14 through 18, I'm just going to read through those verses. Verse 14, it says, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So Paul begins this portion of his letter by telling Timothy to charge the church to command the Christians not to get up and quor- uh, get caught up in quarreling about words which are of no profit. They are unprofitable words. It is a waste of time. We are getting nowhere with this. He says, in fact, it, it only ruins the hearers. Now, in verse 16, Paul calls it irreverent babble. And he mentions two people by name, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he specifically mentions what they're teaching. These guys are teaching that the resurrection has already passed. Now, it's hard to know exactly what is meant by this. 
Are they suggesting that the resurrection of the dead has already somehow happened in redemptive history and they're now living in a glorified state? I don't think so. What we know about that age and that culture is, especially with Greek philosophy that was very pervasive in the culture, they had a real disdain for anything human, fleshly, anything material. They believed that immaterial was good and godly, and anything that's material is inherently corrupt. So the idea of being resurrected into a new body made no sense at all, and it was foolishness to the Greek mind. And so they would try to dispel of any notion of some kind of a literal bodily resurrection. Even the idea that we have a Savior who would die and then raise again, be resurrected, as it were, in His body uh, was a real stumbling block. And so somehow, someway, they are, they are trying to undo the nature of the resurrection, the biblical resurrection. Same thing was happening amongst the Corinthians. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's this massive chapter that Paul deals with the resurrection and why it's so important that we understand the resurrection and why it's so important that there is a resurrection. And so this is a critical matter, and you got these false teachers who are trying to posit these ridiculous ideas that were really interwoven with the, the, uh, the wisdom of the day, if you will, the culture as it were. And so Paul says to Timothy, do not get caught up in these kinds of things. These things are destructive. Don't try to debate with these guys, essentially. Don't get distracted. Um, you need to stick to the truth. Do not be like these guys. You don't want to do that. Paul says this kind of thing upsets the faith and ruins the hearers. It's not good. It's not godly. It's not edifying. One Bible commentator says, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. Yet if people do not hear the Word of God, they're hearing some other stuff, philosophy, opinions, speculations, irreverent babble, then ruin comes by the hearing of that. Ruin comes by the hearing of opinions and speculations and the entertainment of men. And so you got these guys that are getting way off into the bushes with a bunch of weird, wacko stuff, and it is disturbing the saints. It is throwing them off. It is hurting their faith. Paul says that this kind of thing spreads like cancer. I think some translations say, the ESV says like gangrene. And then what does it do? It leads to more and more ungodliness. And so as I have said time and again, right thinking leads to right living. We want to be students of the Word of God. We want to understand it as best we can so that we can live it as best we can by the grace of God and the Spirit of God. Amen? And so it's the pastor's responsibility to make sure, to make sure that he is rightly dividing it and dispensing it to the people for their own good. And so to that end, Paul is telling Timothy, don't be like Hymenaeus and Philetus. Don't get, up, uh, get caught up in that. He says, Timothy, you are to do your best to prevent, uh, present yourself as approved to God. That is to say, pleasing to God. Our aim is to please God, amen, with our handling of the Word, with theology, with doctrine. We're not trying to please men. We're not presenting ourselves approved to men, as it were. That leads to all kinds of shipwreck in this day and age. 
people get way out there with all kinds of goofiness and entertainment-driven stuff in the, in the, for the sake of trying to wow man and impress man. Paul says don't do that. God is the one that you need to be approved before. And he tells Timothy that he needs to see himself as a worker, a worker who is not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That rightly dividing, it literally means to cut it straight. And the idea is of that of a craftsman and his, the quality of his work. You've got shoddy craftsmanship, or you've got really good, clean, perfect craftsmanship. It, it looks like something that has been done by somebody who is really skilled at, at what they do. And, you know, we talk about this, a person's product, their name is on that. Their reputation is attached to that. And if it's something that is cattywampus, I'm just using all kinds of fun, funky words here, you know, cattywampus, if it's not good, then you're going to be ashamed of that because your name is attached to it. And Paul says, not so with you, Timothy. You need to be approved to God, a worker who is not ashamed. You need to be a proud craftsman. You need to cut it straight. And so, this is very important. It's critically important. Getting it right matters. Cutting it straight matters. How we handle God's Word and arrive at the precise meaning of it matters. First off, it's important to God. It's God's Word. It's God's inerrant, infallible Word. And so neither I as a pastor or as members of the body of Christ, congregants, we dare not play loose and fast with God's Word. It's His Word. It's not our Word. We're not free to do with it whatever we want or make it say whatever we want it to say. It doesn't have a bunch of meanings. It says what it says. It means what it means. And so we have to do the hard work of getting to the bottom of what that is. It's God's Word. And we dare not misrepresent the God of the Bible. Amen? That's really what hangs in the balance as we seek to get to the meaning of God's truth. We're trying to understand God. And we're trying to share and communicate God. And so we don't want to misrepresent God's Word, and we don't want to misrepresent God. And so this is very serious. It's important for our sakes. You know, Paul says of Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have swerved from the truth. That's, that is to say, they were in the lines, they were going down the path, and at a certain point they went off the path. They went off the road. And so it would seem as though perhaps at one point in time they were doing well, but at some point they swerved. Brothers and sisters, we don't want that for ourselves. We don't want to swerve. We don't want to go off the path. We don't want to go off the road of sound doctrine and orthodoxy. We want to handle God's Word rightly, correctly, and we want to be able to stay within the lines of healthy biblical truth. And it's important for the sake of others. We dare not lead others astray or upset their faith. Now, look, God's Word is hard. There are difficult things in God's Word for us to... It's, it's not that it's always that hard to understand. It's hard to accept. There are difficult things in God's Word. And sometimes people just get upset by virtue of the fact that it's a tough pill to swallow. 
there's candy in God's Word, and then there's just vegetables, and there's just, you know, there's a, a range. And, uh, you know, so I'm not saying that it, it should never be hard, and sometimes people might at first be stumbled by certain things that we come across in God's Word, and we have to process through it and pray through it and allow ourselves to come to a place where we submit to God's Word, no matter how difficult it may be or contrary to the way that we think things ought to be. But we must take seriously God's truth. We want to be an approved worker, rightly handling it, rightly dividing it, for God's sake, for our sake, and for the sake of others. As a pastor and as a Christian, I get very upset with just the garbage that I hear being pumped out into the church, and Christians so eagerly eat it up. In the day and age that we live with podcasts and YouTube and Facebook and all of these other outlets through which we can get so much teaching, it is a blessing because we have things uh, accessible to us now that we could have never had in the past. We're able to learn and grow, but the enemy is able to use it, and there is so much garbage that is just pumped out into the church as a result of it. And there are it doesn't take long. There are really popular people that they're, they're heretical, they're heretics. They are off in some very major and serious areas. But then there might be a particular hobby horse that they're big on, and that interests people. So they, they, they latch on because they want to hear more about that and learn more about that. But what they don't realize is they are learning from someone who is a false teacher. They preach a different gospel their doctrine is not sound. It's corrupt. And they would be a Hymenaeus and a Philetus, yet we are learning from them. We have to have better discernment than that. Uh, Guzik says, Many today accept and honor teachers who are way off in one area or another, and they justify it by saying, I eat the meat and spit out the bones. This kind of thinking will certainly overthrow the faith of some because some will certainly choke to spiritual death on the bones that you say you spit out. And so it may be, by God's grace, you can listen to that and not swerve from the truth, but not so for many others. And so don't be so sure that just because you have the strength to withstand that your brothers and sisters also have that same strength. So we got to take these things seriously, Amen. We've got to be careful about the kinds of things that we're listening to, the people that we're learning from and gleaning from, the people that we're sharing with other people, the kinds of doctrines and teachings that we are learning about and sharing with other people. We've got to be very careful about those things. We want to be an approved worker. Amen? Well, that brings us to our next portion of the text, and that leads us really into the issue of character. And these are verses 19 through 22. Paul's going to talk about being an honorable vessel, an honorable vessel. So look at verse 19 with me. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, 
ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So now Paul kind of moves from doctrine to conduct. He moves from being a worker to a vessel. I love this phrase. Paul says that God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. Now, this is very you know, poetic, picturesque, whatever you want to call it, but there's definitely some significance to this statement. First off, the word foundation, what does that represent for us? It represents stability, security, that which is unshakable, a solid foundation. The word seal, it represents authority, it represents authenticity, the, word, the Bible uses the word seal. Uh, one use of, of you know, this idea of the seal would be like when a letter would be sent from one person to another, and there would be where you close the envelope, there would be a little wax uh, spot on there with a ring, and you would press into the wax, and that would let the person know who receives it who actually sent it for sure. It's their seal, and the letter has not been broken and so it represents authenticity, it represents um, authority, and this seal here, as it were, has a twofold inscription. There's two things in the, this verse here that Paul says about this firm foundation bearing the seal. Two things. The Lord knows those who are His and let those who name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so, what's, what's going on here? Well, it could be that, you know, there could be some discouragement about the rapid spread of false teaching and the swerving of some from the faith and people's faith being upset. But Paul lets Timothy know he need not be discouraged because God's foundation is unshakable. God's unshakable foundation remains. And no matter who is speaking false teaching and no matter who may be swerving from the faith, God knows who are His. And those who truly belong to Him must and will remain in the truth and depart from iniquity. Amen? Amen. And so... Paul uses this analogy of an honorable and dishonorable vessel to illustrate for us what we want to be. It's not enough to just have right doctrine. That's, that's not the end in itself, okay? We study the Bible with all of the ferocity that we do so that we can take and live that out. If we don't apply it, if we don't live it, then we have stopped short. We haven't gone the distance. Do you understand? And so now, Paul is going to talk about what we do with the Word that has been rightly divided. We apply it so that we will be an honorable vessel, a clean vessel for God. And he uses this analogy of a clean vessel and a dirty vessel. I've used this illustration before because it just uh, sticks out in my mind so much. But uh, at one point in time, I lived on a, a ranch. It wasn't, you know, all that big of a ranch, but we called it a ranch. And we had animals that we would feed, particularly this big, nasty pig. 
and uh, we would just throw all this food in a bucket. It was a slop bucket, and we would take the food out and feed the pig with it. Now, could you imagine if you came over to my house, and we were having dinner, and I pull out the slop bucket, and I just start putting food on your plate from the slop bucket? That's nasty. That's disgusting. It would be an insult. You would be shocked. You would lose your appetite. You would never come back. Right? You know, we're not going to use dishonorable vessels in our service one to another. No, we, we might not go all out and break out the fine china, but I'm not typically going to serve you guys food in a bunch of old Tupperware containers, you know? Missing the lids and cracked and stained from pasta that's already been microwaved in it ten times before. And, you know, um, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to try to serve each other well and honor one another and use the, the, good, the good dinnerware, if you will. Okay? And so that's, that's essentially kind of the idea here. As simple as that. As simple as that. There is a sense in which we, we are, it's amazing to me, but we are that, that pig slop bucket, and we have something glorious that has been entrusted to us that God brings through us. And Paul kind of uses that language in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. So, you know, you got clay pots. That's, that's what we are. We're clay pots. We're nothing special. But in the clay pot, what has been entrusted to us is this glorious, marvelous gospel so that the glory goes to God. It's not the vessel that is on display. It's not the vessel that is supposed to receive the honor. It's God who receives the honor. So there is a sense in which that is true. But at the same time, we want to be a clean vessel. And that was the thing that Jesus always came against the religious leaders of his day for, because they were a vessel that looked really good on the outside. And he said that, yeah, you look great on the outside, but inwardly you're full of filth and corruption. You're like a, a tomb that is painted nicely on the outside, but you're still full of dead men's bones at the end of the day. And so we want to be cleansed. We want to be vessels that are useful for the master, for every good work, who are cleansed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, speaking to this reality, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So there it is. Paul, in this text there, is talking to Corinthians and that city was known for the worst of the worst, the most vilest of practices, such that their reputation was uh, so widespread and well-known that you would be called a Corinthian if your behavior was vile or vulgar enough. It was a, it was, you had been Corinthianized. That, that, that really was the reputation that that city had. And this is the church. The church was made up of these kinds of folks, predominantly. 
And Paul says, look, that was you, but that's not you anymore. Why? Because you have been cleansed. You were a dishonorable vessel, but now you're cleansed, and you're an honorable vessel, fit for the Master's use. You have been sanctified. That word sanctified is such a wonderful word. It's a biblical word. You've got to know it. It just means to be set apart. And so I was set apart to the world. I was living according to the world and its values and its dictates, and I was serving Satan, and uh, that, that was me before Christ. But I came to Christ, and now I've been set apart to God. And so my life belongs to Him, and it is used for His purposes, for His glory, for the advancement of His kingdom and His church. Amen? Amen. And so that, that's the same word for holy. Holy, different, distinct, unique. The church is holy because the church is supposed to not look like the world. And so when the church lives for the values that are set forth in the Word of God, which is totally contrary to the values of the world, that makes us holy in the day and age and culture in which we live. And that's the way that it should be. Amen? We've been cleansed. We've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified, declared righteous before our God through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We are Spirit-indwelt, Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered, holy believers. Amen? Amen? And we are to live cleansed lives. We want to be honorable vessels, useful for God for every good work. And we have to strive to maintain that. We have to strive to maintain that. It's hard. It is hard living uprightly in this crooked and perverse generation. It is hard walking in the light as He is in the light. Amen? It is not easy. We battle against the flesh. We battle against this world. We battle against our adversary, Satan. But we have to fight the fight for purity and holiness. We must be cleansed. We must renew ourselves in that. Paul uses this language in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying that I have to control myself. I have to control my appetites. I have to discipline the way that I live my life because after preaching, I can be disqualified just by my character and conduct. The truth is the truth, and it will always be that whether I'm living it or not. You understand? But my message doesn't mean much to other people when I'm saying one thing and living in a way that is totally contrary to that. And so Paul says we've got to approach this thing like an athlete. We put that kind of rigor, that kind of commitment, that kind of training. And then he uses this language of boxing. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing and, and beating the air, as it were. He says, I discipline my body. Uh, some translations say, I buffet my body. The idea is almost as if he's saying, I beat myself up. And the idea there is, is that 
in some ways, Paul knew that he was his own worst adversary. In some ways, we are our own worst enemy. Amen? I mean, can you relate? You say amen or oh man. I mean, you know, I, I know you know what I'm saying here. Um, sometimes I think Satan doesn't even have to come after me. I'm doing his job for him. I make it way too easy on him, you know? And so Paul said, sometimes I have to fight myself. I have to beat my own body, as it were, so that I do not become disqualified in my ministry by virtue of my own character and conduct. And so Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful passion. Flee. That's the solution. Don't succumb to those things. Flee them. And I, I think the, the greatest picture of this in the Bible in Genesis, you know, Joseph, Potiphar's wife, remember she kept trying to entice him and seduce him. And he said, how could I do this to my God and to my master, Potiphar? And he's made me the highest in his own house. How could I do that? And then one day she actually tried to take him by force and seize him. What did he do? He took off running. I love that. Sometimes that's just what we got to do. You got to run. You got to get out of there. You got to bolt. You got to flee. Don't think that you have it within yourselves to withstand sometimes. Take heed uh, if you think you stand, lest you fall. Sometimes you just got to get up and get out, flee, run, emergency. And that's the kind of thing that Paul tells Timothy flee youthful passions. Now, I wouldn't, you hear youthful passions, some translations say youthful lusts. And we may think of that as sexual desire and temptation, and I think rightly so. Um, that does appear to be a struggle, especially for the youthful, and especially for those who aren't yet married. And there is that, and Timothy was a young man, relatively speaking. Uh, and so Paul had to tell him, don't let people look down on you because of your youthfulness. And so that could be a very real struggle or issue for Timothy that, Paul tells him, you gotta, you got to flee that, fight that. But it, it goes even beyond that. Youthful desires, you know, pride, uh, desire for wealth and jealousy and status and self-assertiveness and argumentative spirit. I think mean, these are all kinds of things that can be bound up in youthfulness. And so uh, Paul tells Timothy, flee that. Be an honorable vessel. Rightly divide God's Word Put it into practice, be a cleansed, honorable vessel, flee youthful lusts and passions, and pursue righteousness. You are to pursue faith, love, and peace. And what we have here is put off and put on. It's exactly what we have. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. We're not to just stop doing the things that we used to do, okay? If you're just stop doing the things you used to do, then you haven't gone the whole way. Again, it's like reading the Bible and not practicing it. We don't just stop the old patterns and habits. We put on the new. And so you don't just flee youthful passion, but you flee youthful passion and you pursue faith, love, and peace. That's repentance. That's turning from one thing to another thing. Turning from the old life, the old passions, to the new. And that's what Paul tells Timothy he must do if he wants to maintain his, his holiness, his godliness, his usefulness to God, 
And then notice this, and don't let this, don't let this uh, escape you. He says it, this last little verse here, to pursue faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We do this in community. We do this alongside others. We reject, avoid, fight against, flee from the passions of this world, and we pursue faith and love and righteousness alongside others who have called upon the name of the Lord. It's family business, amen? It's community. It's the body of Christ. It's fellowship. It's communion with the saints. We do this together. We need each other. It's not a Lone Ranger kind of situation here. When you are isolated and living by yourself, you are a prime target for the enemy. And that in and of itself is a bad a bad indicator because Proverbs, I think 18.1, says that the person who isolates themselves, they rage against all wise counsel. They're seeking their own, and they're raging against all wise counsel. And so when we isolate ourselves, that's just an indicator that something is already deadly dangerous, and we are now very vulnerable. And so we need to be in community. We need to be encouraged by and held accountable by those who are also seeking to flee from various lusts and to pursue faith and righteousness. Amen? And so Paul encourages Timothy to that end. And now lastly, point number three, God uses a kind and gentle servant. Look with me at verses 23 through 26. It says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so now Paul, again, addresses what he calls foolish and ignorant controversies. He's already talked about irreverent babbling, and now he's talking about ignorant controversies. Um, and I would say that all of this is kind of in the same vein, if you will, different ways of describing the same issue. And so before, Paul was encouraging them to flee from these particular things and practices, but now he's really dealing more with the attitude, the attitude of the issue, okay? Be patient, be gentle, be kind. You know, the Lord's servant must not be swept away by every controversy out there. The Lord's servant, I want you to take note of that. If you are a Christian then you are the Lord's servant. And we have to stay laser-focused on the main things, the most important things. And I would say, above all, we have to stay focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We can get all upset, and rightly so, about all kinds of things that are going on in the culture and the world around us today. It should vex our righteous souls, and it should bring us to a place of indignance and anger. And to some degree, we can speak out against those things, and we can do what we can to try to fight against those things, to, to swim 
upstream against the stream as best we can and to lead others with us so that they're not just sucked away in that torrent. But at the end of the day, controversies rise, controversies fall. Controversies come, controversies go. And there's just going to be this constant influx and wave of controversies. That will never stop. And even if you're able to convince somebody that you're right and they're wrong and change their mind about that controversy, they may still be just as lost and damned and separated from God. And so Paul tells Timothy... Do not get distracted by the things that are not ultimately profitable, but focus on that which is of greatest import, and that is the gospel message, brothers and sisters. The good news of Jesus Christ, that God is in the world saving sinners, of whom we are the chief. Amen? Amen. It was God's good pleasure to save us by grace, to the praise of His own name and to the praise of His glorious grace. God did that by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, as our substitute. He paid the price that we cannot pay, and in an eternity of eternities, He lived a life of righteousness that we've failed to live a trillion times over. And He took our place in judgment, and He gifted us His righteousness so that through faith in Jesus Christ, we could be forgiven of our sins against a holy and just God and experience life eternal in the presence of our good God and Father. See, that's the good news. And the world needs that news. To be justified, to be declared righteous, to be adopted into the family of God, to have God's Holy Spirit in our lives, to be taken from death to life, to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. That's the good news. That's what we need. If there's any hope in this world, that's the hope. If there's any hope for eternity, that's the hope. And I hope that you have trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. I hope that you have received the gift of His Holy Spirit. I hope that you are born again into the newness of life. I hope that God is your Father and not your judge. Because you will be judged. You know, I work out at this gym and there's just the music that is in there just vexes my soul. And... There's something about rappers that love to rap about the fact that God, only God can judge them. And it's like they celebrate that somehow. And it's like, first off, actually, the judge sitting there in the, in the courtroom judge, can and will judge the heck out of you, and you will be in prison for a long time. And number two, that eternal judge will judge you, and that is nothing to boast about. That is nothing to take comfort in. And so we need to be set free. We need our sins forgiven, amen? We need our pardon. We need our sins pardoned. And we can. That's the good news of the gospel. You know, the servant must be like his Lord. Jesus was kind. Jesus was patient. Jesus was gentle. And he says here that the servant must be kind to who? Everyone. Everyone? Everyone. Everyone? Everyone. That's not easy, is it? That's not easy, but that's what the Word says. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting opponents with gentleness. You know what? There is a time and a place for correction. We do have to recognize there are people we do not align with. There are people that hold other views that are contrary to the gospel and that are damning. 
and we have to draw a line in the sand, and we have to call it for what it is. But we're still supposed to do it with gentleness, and the goal is to teach, able to teach. It's not enough to just prove somebody that they're wrong. It's not enough to just get upset for righteousness' sake and lambast somebody. The goal is to patiently and gently correct and teach them. Paul says, because you don't know, God might grant them repentance. God very well might grant them knowledge of the truth. And God may very well use you to be the one to bring that truth into their lives. And what an honor and a privilege would that be? And wouldn't you hate to disqualify yourself from that privilege because you have been obnoxious and a jerk and you have been cantankerous and argumentative and quarrelsome? Wouldn't, you know, how sad would that be? And so instead of being annoyed with someone that holds different views, we need to see them as someone for whom God might grant knowledge of the truth and grant them repentance to turn we wouldn't want to hinder that. We wouldn't want to hinder that with our attitude. We want to be used by God, amen? We want to be that kind servant. We want to be that honorable vessel. We want to be that approved worker. God wants us to be that, amen? amen. We can be that. We have all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, through our relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God's grace, God's Word. We can be used, amen? amen? We must be. All right. Well, praise God. It's a glorious text. I hope you were blessed by it. Um, before Dan comes up and closes with a song, I'm going to make an announcement. I'm going to make a, a, a big announcement. As the pastor of this church, I want to share something with you that God is doing and that we're very, very excited about. And that is that in about a month, Calvary Bible Church is going to merge with Grace Church. We're going to be one church, one body. We're not going to be meeting. Um, we're not going to be meeting here. We're going to be meeting over there. And the first service will be December 3rd. Pastor John Fernandez is going to come here next week, and he's going to preach for us and teach and share his heart and try to offer us some good encouragement about what's to come and his desire for this to happen. But I just want you to know that we're doing this because we believe that this is what God is doing. We're doing this because we believe this is what God is doing. And we have seen God's fingerprints on this for quite some time now. We have had a strong relationship with Grace Church for years. Pastor John really has been my pastor. He's been my professor. He's been a dear brother to me. Uh, we have had a lot of overlapping ministries. Their people have come to serve here. Our people have gone to serve there. We have people that serve in ministries at their church. Uh, children that go to Awana, youth that go to their, their youth group. Uh, we have people there who support and serve the bridge over here. We have uh, worked collectively at men's retreats for the last couple years. I taught at their men's retreat two years ago. We have very close friendships and partnerships with brothers and sisters over at Grace Church. And I think it's just been obvious for some time that God is bringing us together such that people have actually asked on a couple of occasions, is this what, 
is, is this happening? Because it just already kind of seemed like such was the case. And through a series of events, I feel like God just kind of brought it to a head at a certain point in time where the conversations began to happen and everyone involved thought, this is exciting. This is good. Together, we can do more. There's no need for us to be separate, two separate bodies when we can come together and share our strengths and our resources and our passions towards the same goal and the uh, same mission, the same end. And that really resonated with us. We live in a time where truth is under assault, is it not? We live in a time where it's difficult to stand for the truth of God in the culture in which we live. And we live in a very difficult part of the country when it comes to that. And so we need each other to be able to stand strong in this time, to band together, to band together our resources, our strengths, our heart, our love, our commitment. And so that's what we're going to do. And I love this church. I always have. I've been here seven years. I've been the lead pastor for five years. And I love this church. And I love you all. You're my brothers and my sisters in Christ. And I have loved being your pastor. And I hope to continue to be able to serve you. And I hope to continue to be able to pour into your lives just at a different location. I won't be the senior pastor there. Uh, we're walking through what that's going to look like for me. Uh, my, my roles and responsibilities and the various things that I'll be involved in. But I still want to have us all be together just in a different location. All the leadership here, Pastor Dan, Pastor Aaron, uh, will be there. The bridge will be there. Our regeneration Thursday night meeting will be there. But I got to tell you, we're excited. We are so excited. It takes time to process these things. It takes time to pray through these things, uh, to come around to these things. I know I know there's one thing that everybody absolutely loves in this life, and that is change. Not, not. People hate change, and I get it. I get it. But you know what? There is one constant in life, and you know what that is? Change. Change. God does new things. God does unexpected things. It is an adventure walking with God. God is not stagnant. God does new things. And, you know, in Isaiah 43, um, this is a verse that has come up for me and my wife so many times for quite some time now. And there kind of came a point where it was like, God, are you trying to tell us something? Because this verse is coming up so frequently from so many different places that it, we began to realize this is, this, is for, this is for us. This is what God is doing. Um, and it says, verse 18, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I love that, do you not perceive it. It's like he's saying, have you not figured it out yet? Have you not seen, have you not recognized, perceived that God's doing a new thing? He says that I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for 
I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. It's all for God's glory. God is doing a new thing. He's doing, it might be a very uncomfortable thing. It might be a fearful thing, but there's no question in my mind and in my heart amongst our elders and the elders of grace, God is doing a new thing, and God is going to get the praise for it. God is going to get more glory, more honor, and I'm excited to be a part of it, and I hope you are too. And so I just want you to know that after we uh, close here in a moment, uh, we'll break, we'll have some coffee and donuts, 20 minutes, and I want to invite you just to come back up and um, take your seats, and we'll take some time to discuss this together as a family. If you have any questions, any concerns, any confusion, um, pushback, whatever you have, we want to shepherd you through this. We love you guys, and we want to lead you. And let me just say this, and we'll talk about this again over the next couple of weeks. It is my heart that we all go together. This is not me going here to there. This is God, I believe, leading us together there to become part of a new body. Um, pastor John has served faithfully for 30 years, but he's going to be stepping back as the lead pastor in February. It's a 30-year anniversary, and they've already voted for a new young pastor who's going to be the lead pastor. His name is Jess Arns. He's preached here a few times. He's a close friend, a dear brother. I think the world of him, and I know that he will feed us well. And so I don't have greater confidence in any other church in Napa than the church that we will be when we come together and the leadership that God has in place and the, the, the mission and the vision. I, mean, it, I want us to be together there. Amen? Amen. And so, yeah, I, as your pastor, I'm asking you, follow me just one last time. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness towards us always. We thank you that you do new things, that you take us deeper into faith. You take us deeper into trust. You call us out into places of uncertainty and unknown, but you're faithful. You're the faithful God. You're the sure and solid foundation. And you are the strong tower that we can run into and find safety. You're the rock of our salvation. You are the rock upon whom we desire to build our house. And so, Father, we love you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And I thank you for this time we've had together in the Word. I pray that you would be glorified even now as we sing to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.